0: Hey, it's Paul here again. Just a quick reminder that today's episode is one of our very first episodes that we recorded and released. And it's before we started using immersive storytelling techniques like sound design and music and narration. Now, of course, the story itself is very powerful and very relevant to today. But if you enjoy those types of elements like sound design and narration and music, then make sure to listen to some of our newer content that we've
1: released as well. And now onto the show. I remember distinctly being at the bar one night and thinking about the the difference between the night before I was at this bible study where I'm like praying and being this religious guy and then you know, the next night I'm a party guy totally different guys and then I realized the duplicity of my life that I was really living two different lives and being two different people and really being hypocrites in both contexts at this point.
0: I'm Paul Hastings and you're listening to COMPELLED Real people telling true stories about God's compelling love working in their lives. As you may have already heard, we're starting the first week of our podcast by releasing three episodes right now, all at once, to give you a taste of what's to come. I'll tell you more about Compelled and share a sneak peek of our next episode right after our story. For now, we're excited to share with you the story of Aaron and Holly Mayfield, You'll hear how Aaron's life underwent radical transformation as God took him from a jail cell for selling drugs into ministry as a pastor. And God used none other than the very woman who would eventually become his wife. We hope you'll be blessed by this beautiful story of God's redemptive work in Aaron and Holly's lives. Aaron and Holly, thanks so much for joining us today. I've been really looking forward to this interview for quite some time actually. And Holly, I'd like to start with you. Actually, can you share with us what life was like for you growing up?
2: Sure. Um, so, growing up, my my dad took us to church when I was a child, uh, and then he died when I was six. But uh, we did a lot of scripture memorization. I remember that. But after he died, my family didn't go to church anymore. And um, but I thought it was a very good person. I was a rule following kid, always always did the right thing, and I think because of that, I was very
0: self-righteous. Thanks for sharing, Holly. Aaron, can you tell us a little about
1: your early years as well? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in a um, in a home that was it was a very moral home, had uh, uh, parents who loved me and did a lot for me, and we, uh, so my mom would have been Catholic, uh, my dad was not practicing really anything, he kind of grew up um With uh, my my dad's parents were religious, um, but they would kind of bounce around from one type of church to another, and there was there weren't a lot of um, strong convictions other than that you should go to church. So we went to church very sporadically uh, to a Catholic church that was in Arlington, and I was um, I was brought up through catechism there and went to um, you know was baptized as a as a small child when I was about five years old. And went all the way through up until the point of confirmation, but never never went through confirmation. Never got confirmed as a Catholic. Uh, right after Christmas, when I was nine, uh, my parents told me that they were getting a divorce. Um, my mom had met somebody else, and she was actually uh, pregnant, and uh, with my uh, youngest brother. And uh, so she you know, was going to move in with this with this other guy. Uh, once I had kind of two different homes that I bounced back and forth between, I was re- very grateful that they lived in the same town. So I um, never had a, pl- a point in my life where I didn't have immediate access to both parents. And so I was able to, you know, if I was in trouble at my dad's house, then I would say, well, I'm going to go to my mom's house and live there for a while. And then if I was in trouble at my mom's house, then I'd go live with my dad for a while. And it allowed a a young boy more freedom and and you know, lack of accountability than than anyone young boy should have. Uh, so I took advantage of that, and um, by the time I was a teenager, I was uh, you know just living a you know very worldly lifestyle, and um, I was self righteous in a different kind of way. I was self righteous about my freedom, and um, you know, had no fear of God whatsoever. Jesus was basically like the passcode that you had to you had to mention to get into heaven. So if you died and you lived a bad life, then you say Jesus. And they let you in. That was basically my understanding. Holly, let's pick back up with you again.
0: You had mentioned that you felt very self-righteous growing up. Um, Tell us more.
2: So I lived my happy little self-righteous life. And like Aaron said, it was kind of the password. Like I believe some facts about Jesus. I was culturally a Christian. Uh, I entered a sorority in college and uh, continued to trust in my goodness because everybody around me was worse than i was so uh and then one day a lady came and knocked on the door to the sortie house and she was a pastor's wife and her and her husband were starting a new church she had her six-month-old daughter with her so that i have a child almost that age right now and i can't imagine and uh she just started telling us about the church for me it sounded interesting because i wouldn't have to wake up too early they were going to have donuts We were going to sit on couches. (laughs) These are the things that appealed to me. And we just got to talking with her more about it, asking questions, and we invited her in and sat down and that's she shared the gospel with me. I don't feel like it was something new that she had shared. Just that reminder of, Well, no, there's no way to get there in our own goodness. It's not by being a good person and, you know, drew the cross and talked about Jesus and even though it was one of those like, oh, yeah, I I know these answers. Yes, I believe that too. That's really the first time I really remember experiencing conviction of sin. And it wasn't anything that I said to her. I just said, oh, yeah, I believe that. But I remember later that night in in my room thinking, I'm a bad person too. Mm. I'm a sinner, just like everybody else. I need a savior. I need a rescuer. It's not me, who's good, I am um, not any better than anyone, and I need Jesus to cleanse me from sin, just just like everybody does. And I think there were about seven of us that became Christians through her ministry to us, and then us being able to share the gospel with them.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
2: Yes, it really was amazing. It was a really the exciting of time of of revival within uh, you know this group of women that we got to see God really moving, and they really trained us in uh, sharing our faith as well. So we would do that on the campus. There were a lot of international students there that we got to share with that would go back to their own countries and getting to see people uh, become Christians and have transformed lives and people who had never heard the gospel in their entire lives. So it was a really great time that I look back on with a lot of joy. That's great.
0: Aaron, let's shift over to you. So while
1: this was going on for Holly, uh, wh- where were you at this point? What was going on in your life? So 2000, I graduated high school a few years prior. Um, and my teenage years were, were pretty bad um, in terms of my you know, kind of my life, my morality. And uh, so I'd, I'd pretty much gone, uh, gone the totally different direction of Holly and um, had gotten involved in um, – uh, started smoking marijuana by the time I was fifteen and was living a, a pretty sinful life in a lot of other ways uh, at that point as well and um, so when I was 18 when I the summer that I turned 18 um, I was smoking a lot of marijuana with a lot of friends and in one sense dealing it you know in one sense I was I was buying large quantities and selling it to my friends hmm. um, and um, and so I got arrested you know, with about two pounds, a little over two pounds of marijuana, which is a felony offense um, at that level. It was my first offense. And so the judge had leanings to me and, and uh, offered me a, you um, basically a deferred adjudication uh, sentence. Um, so part of that was doing 120 hours of community service. And then part of that was, um, uh, well, well, that was basically it at the time. And then I violated my probation. Uh, so then I had to do 30 days in jail. Still at that point, I was in jail with people that were like really bad people and I wasn't a bad person, <laughs> you know, my perspective. I was never convicted that I, what I was doing was wrong. And um, in fact, I was glad that I did. I'd gotten away with more than what they had found. I had a, a sheet of, um, of LSD in my truck as well. So I got out of jail, um, 2001, left Arlington, moved to Fort Worth, got a job in Fort Worth. And um, that's where I met Holly and a group of, um, there was a group of Christians, we all started working at this restaurant. And Aaron, let let me jump in here for just a second. Holly, I wanna clarify with you that this is
0: indeed the same restaurant where you and your Christian coworkers started a late night Bible study to give your unsaved uh, coworkers an alternative to going to bars after work. What was your initial experience with Aaron like? I mean, did you think that he liked you or anything?
2: I did know that Aaron was interested in me from the very beginning, but I-
0: Was it like really obvious, like, you know? It was very
2: obvious. He would ask me out often.
0: To go to the bar, to the club, invitations like that? Exactly,
2: yes. And I was not going to have anything to do with that. So I invited him to go to the Bible study.
0: Interesting, so Aaron, what did you think when you first went to the
1: Bible study? Uh, I was gonna show her what a good guy was. And Holly, were you impressed?
2: He was one of those guys that comes to Bible study, and you're just grateful that he's there, and you're just grateful that he's sharing. But I'm like, you know, everybody is like, that's not what the passage says at all, but you don't want to discourage <laughs> him. <laughs> so we're all just shaking our heads and saying, oh, thank you so much for sharing that.
1: Okay.
0: So Aaron, tell us what happened.
1: So um, so I was going to this Bible study and certainly sharing with them, trying to share because I wanted to impress Holly. And these guys just started pouring into my life. They took an interest in me and they started um, spending time with me. And they started, you know, the guys I think were helpfully trying to run a little bit of interference for Holly because they knew, Holly knew, they knew, okay, this is not going to be a good thing for like Holly to be the primary point of contact for Aaron in this context. Uh, So a few guys started investing in me and they started, uh, you know, just basically talking to me about, my faith and about God's word. Uh, they started giving me books to read, which at first I wasn't really interested in, but I was kind of like, hey, I'll I'll go along with it. I mean, I can, I'm a competitive guy. So if you can do it, then I can do it. So along the way, God just started changing my affections. And so I remember distinctly being at the bar one night, um, had my arm around, you know, some other girl and had, you know, whiskey in my hand or something like that. And thinking about the the difference between the night before I was at this Bible study where I'm like praying and being this religious guy, and then night, you know, the next night I'm party guy, totally different guys. And then I realized the duplicity of my life that I was really living two different lives and being two different people and really being a hypocrite in both contexts at this point. So I started giving, I started spending less time with those friends and going to clubs, um, stopped smoking, you know, marijuana altogether, um, really stopped drinking pretty much almost completely, and was just had a new affection, a new interest, a new passion in my life that I didn't realize what was happening at the time. At the time, I would have thought I'm becoming a better Christian. Um now I would say I was being that was a point of conversion. I was being transformed. Um, and so it came to a head at one night where I was um, hall and I were in in my car together, and she challenged me.
2: Well, you need to share why we were in the car together.
1: <laughs> we're on our way home from a concert that we went to together. A concert.
2: So Aaron tricked me into a date.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, let's back up, Holly. Let's, let's back up. So you were tricked into a date. Tell us about this.
2: There was a, a girl that we worked with that I was trying to reach out to. And he got her to ask me to go to a concert. Who was it? Dixie Chicks or something? Pat Green. Dixie Chicks and Pat Green. So he ha- got her to ask me. And so I was thinking, oh, yeah, like she, she's, she wants to hang out with me. So this will be an opportunity to hang out with her and these other girls and to build some friendships there. And so I was excited about this, looking for this. I didn't know that he had actually arranged this and got her to ask me. So when we show up at this concert with this group of people, everybody has tickets to sit in couples in completely different sections. So they bought wow. two tickets here, two tickets there, two tickets in another section. So it became I had it all to myself. Just Aaron and I. And honestly, I was really angry <laughs> that I was tricked into this.
1: Wow. And I thought to
2: myself, well if I'm gonna have to sit here with him all night because I didn't have a car and he's any way hear to, about Jesus. He's going to hear the gospel <laughs> all night long. So my motivation may not have been the best because I was mad. But God used it anyways.
1: Anyway, it is what it is. So we're on our way home from that concert, and I'm dropping her off. And she shares the gospel with me. And basically, uh, if you're familiar with Evangelism Explosion, D. James Kennedy's material, um, she's asked me those kinds of questions. So if you were to die tonight, where, you know, where would you go? And so I was giving her the answers that I thought she wanted, and she was you know, somewhat pacified in the moment. I don't think she was necessarily convinced by any means. Uh, but, um, but she didn't like press it over and over again. Uh, but she clearly shared the gospel with me and clearly confronted me with um, the claims of the gospel upon my life and so i dropped her off i was i was proud i was not humble and so i wasn't like oh you know what maybe maybe, like i need to respond to this with her but i was definitely convicted um to where she got out of the car and i started driving away and become became for the first time i was aware of um felt conviction from god in my car Ah uh, pulled over on the way home and was just kind of trembling and like, you know God, I've demonstrated um, my depravity, my sinfulness, my need for you. And it was kind of a Jesus take the wheel kind of prayer. like, God, would you just take this life over? You know, my life, you know, is yours. I want you to do with it whatever you will, because I've demonstrated that I can't do anything worthwhile with it. And God was very faithful to that prayer. Um, so my life changed radically over the, over the course of the next few months. So, um, so on, a, on a very frigid February night, um, about one o'clock in the morning or something like that, uh, we'd been reading scripture together. I'd been studying Wayne Grudem's systematic theologies, chapters on baptism, due to the assignment of one of these guys that was discipling me, and came to the conviction that I should be baptized. Uh, so I just asked these guys if they would baptize me in their in their swimming pool, basically, with you know, in one of the guys' apartment complexes. So I got baptized that night, and um, very excited about that. But I was still very immature in my faith, very young Christian, didn't you know, very unaware of most of most of uh, the claims of of God upon the life of the believer, and um, and so Holly was still not interested in me. Uh, romantically, she was very excited about my conversion at this point, but, um, still turning me down on, on the request for, you know, going on a date. Yeah. And, uh, so the guys and and Holly had encouraged me to go on this mission trip It's over the course of spring break. So it was a week long mission trip to Panama city beach, Florida. And I went and we were basically reaching out to drunk people, uh, which is a, (laughs) an interesting missional approach.
0: That is Uh, so.
1: (laughs) That is. um, Most of our evangelism was when they were sober in the mornings. We did a free free pancake breakfast, but uh, but I went and it was a very good week, and I was encouraged to to step out in leadership a lot that week, and it was a very fruitful week. We felt like it was uh, you know uh, in a lot of ways, and um, and really at this point. Holly had turned me down so many times that I thought maybe this meant that God was calling me to a life of celibacy.
0: Wow, that was a pretty extreme. He's either
1: Holly or nothing. I mean, so um, so I was actually at a place where I was content being celibate, being not romantic. So I come home from the mission trip, and Holly asked me out. Wow.
0: So, and Holly, is that how it happened?
2: Um, similar. He says talks about how he was just really an immature Christian, but really I remember uh, a friend of mine. She ended up being in my wedding. She and I talked about Aaron and that she, he had become a Christian now. And she's like, "Oh, you know, he's he's a nice looking guy. Have you ever been interested in in him?" I said, "Yeah, he is, but you know, he's a new Christian. It would take him so long to grow into a godly man that would uh, be able to lead in." Uh, So it was completely out of my mind. It was really more like a a light bulb moment, just in an instant that uh, I suddenly just fell in love with him one day. So he went on the mission trip. I went on the same mission trip the week after him because we had different spring breaks. So when I was there and they're like, oh, you know, Aaron Mayfield, he was such a godly man and he was leading and he was doing this. And I heard all these stories about all that he was doing that all of a sudden I thought, you're right he is that man now. He is totally changed. And then so I got back from the mission trip and thought, I have turned him down so many times, he will never ask me out again. And so I did call him and ask if we could meet and said, "Um, I was wondering if, if maybe you were still interested in me.
0: Wow. And he
2: gave me the very spiritual answer of, Let me pray about that. (laughs) He said inside he was just dying and like, yes, yes, yes.
0: That is hilarious. That is hilarious. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18, and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compel. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to The World and Everything in It. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit
1: WNG.org. Yep, so we, uh, so I just read, (laughs) I didn't know how to date as a Christian, so I just read both of Josh Harris's books on how to date as a Christian, how to court. They were very helpful books to us at the time. And uh, you know they land on different people different ways, but for for us, they were exactly what I needed. You know is a very different view of dating than what I knew dating to be. yeah, um my my understanding was very, very worldly and ungodly. And uh, it was a very helpful approach for us. Um so it served us. you know Josh served us well. And it was a good season. It was a very quick season. So after about six weeks, I proposed to her and um, and and that was with a lot of counsel. um that was that was quick, clearly very quick. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend people follow that. Um, uh, so we um, made plans to get married in October of that year. so we started dating in March. got engaged in May and then we got married in October of that wow. year of two thousand
0: and three. Um, I'm interested to hear about. How you then progressed into the the life that would
1: become kind of your next chapter. Yep. So we we at this point had left our Southern Baptist Church uh, because we wanted to be in the same church as the folks that were in our Bible study. So that was a more of a charismatic church um, down the road. So we started going to that uh, church, and that pastor had a view of ministry, uh, at least my understanding of it. And we were very grateful for that season in that church. Um, still keep up with a number of the people from that church to this day. It was a very small church. Um, but his the way that I understood his doctrine of vocation was that really there's one call from God on the life of a godly man, and that was to ministry. Um, so you're either going to serve God or serve mammon. And and the way to serve God is to do that in ministry, Um or else, you could be a business guy who's a greedy, you know, money lover, and that's it. the The only two alternatives. Uh, that was basically my understanding of it, and and he would not have he would not have said it that way, um, but that was my understanding. And so, because of his encouragement to me toward ministry, I enrolled in Bible college that year. Uh, so, two, the fall of two thousand three, the same um, season that we got married, I had enrolled in Bible college. And started down that road toward ministry because I felt like I'm I'm serious about my faith. And so God, I'm going to show it to you. I don't want to be the guy in the bleachers. I want to be on the field. Put me in. I'm not a spectator. I'm a player. You know, so here I am, Lord. Um, so I started down that road of of Bible college. And um, Holly was finishing up her uh, undergraduate degree, found out that there was a church plant from Sovereign Grace in the Dallas area, and we ended up deciding to participate in that church plant. Uh, So we relocated our lives from Arlington to Frisco, which is about an hour away. This church plant had a very different understanding of vocation than what I had before. So I basically showed up the first day, told the pastor, Craig Cabaniss, that, hey, I'm I'm called to ministry, so if you need somebody to preach, let me know. I'll preach. And he very graciously and humbly thanked me and asked me if there was any willingness on my part to just stack chairs and be part of the setup team, uh, which I thought was wasted, you know wasted Ta- waste potential? talent that's right that's right uh putting your best players on the bench okay your call and yet it was a it was a very good season so i i felt like um for years uh you know at the time i thought that was going to be a short season basically he'll have me do that for a few months kind of prove myself he'll give me the opportunity to preach then he's gonna invite me on the pastoral team and that turned into closer to 10 years, um, which I I never would have stuck around had you told me that on the front end. Um, And yet, in the midst of that, God gave me a different understanding of vocation that was just radically different than, than what I had coming into this. So I met a man named Thane Hysaw, a friend of mine who is a dentist, and he was a godly, one of the godliest men I'd ever met, and he felt God's pleasure in doing root canals, and he felt no desire for pastoral ministry whatsoever. Tim Payne, uh, another friend of mine that I worked with in the marketplace, uh, very godly man, you know, knows way more about the Bible. Still today could tell you more about the Bible than I can. Um, very godly in a lot of ways, felt no desire for pastoral ministry. He felt God's pleasure in working on spreadsheets uh, and coming up with new solutions for for that sort of thing. Uh, another guy named Bob Hughes, same, same thing. I just met all sorts of one godly man after another, much godlier more than I am, much more passionate about uh, God's church than I was and none of them felt desire for ministry and i thought maybe <laughs> you can be godly and not be in ministry and so i went through a long season of just evaluating that in my own heart what why are my what are my motives for vocational ministry and you know, submitting to the pastoral team submitting to friends of mine asking them you're really wrestling with that for a long time maybe this is just you know selfish ambition Uh, in some respect Um, certainly it was a distorted view of a vocation uh but um but i continue to receive a lot of encouragement toward pastoral ministry from each of those guys nobody nobody said i don't see that in you i i continue to receive a lot of encouragement toward that fast forward a lot of years to 2010 uh we just built our first house and um so we've been renting in the Frisco area, part of this church now for uh, five or six years, and built our, built a house. I uh, thought, okay, we're going to we're we're here, and I'm not a pastor, but that's okay. I've got a good job, and I, I'm content with that, not being in ministry, and built a house. And then a few months after building and moving into that house, or the first house that we'd built and you know and bought on that weren't we weren't renting. Uh, the senior pastor came to me and asked me about taking a ministry position in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Which is two days, three days away from Texas, right? (laughs) Not in Texas. Wow. So then you moved to Pennsylvania. Yeah, we moved to Pennsylvania just outside of Philadelphia, and I took a job working for Sovereign Grace Ministries. Uh, However, pretty early on, within a few months of moving my family across the country, leaving our best friends and you know, all this stuff, a lot of controversy erupted in our, you know, family of churches. You know, money started kind of drying up a little bit. Uh, people weren't giving as much. Um, but we just felt like, you know, let's just be faithful and see what the Lord has. And maybe you know, we we just don't know what's going to happen here. And along the way, I uh, get a call from John Payne, uh, who's a, um, a friend of, uh, so he's the son of my former pastor, Pete Payne. Uh, who's a friend of mine, and so I knew who John was, and I'd, I'd met him a few times. But he called me and said, "Hey, I'm I'm thinking about planting a church, and they asked us, would we be interested in in going along with him? We felt almost immediately uh, a strong, emphatic yes. Um, so we didn't say that right away. Uh, was, you know, we we gave the we'll pray about the, it. We'll, we'll pray, pray about, about it. Answer. We left that and and talked about it, and we both very quickly came to the conviction that yes, we wanted to be part of this church plant. Which
0: brings us to where you guys are today. Uh, You're back in Texas, and you're one of the pastors at the church plant in Round Rock, uh, which happens to be where my wife and I met y'all. And uh, we've been super blessed uh, by your ministry there every Sunday, and I think it's really awesome how God used all these different circumstances in both of your lives to bring you where you are today. I know that a lot of people might have wondered, why in the world would God take someone all the way to Pennsylvania for a job that dried up? Could you share some thoughts on that?
1: So at this point, we would have looked back in hindsight, uh, where once we arrived in Pennsylvania, we were thinking, what is God doing? Did we make a mistake in coming up here uh, and all this? Now we're looking back saying, wow, God was preparing us. You know, every step of the way, God's providential hand was at work carefully orchestrating circumstances and all these opportunities uh, where none of it was wasted, where all along the way, I would have looked at 10 years of not being in pastoral ministry and thought these are wasted years. None of them, not a single wasted moment. And uh, we've just seen God's grace in our in our lives in this church in a number of ways. So it's been good uh, for our souls. It's been good for our marriage, uh, for our kids. We're grateful that our, our kids have a lot of Um, mature, believing, you know, older children to look up to and follow, as well as godly men and women in the church who who invest in them. So we we see God at work in a lot of ways that we're very, very excited about, very grateful for. That's awesome. And
0: we're grateful that you guys are here. I've got one last question for you guys, and this relates to evangelism. Both of y'all were saved through evangelism. Holly, you threw a lady going door to door. Uh, with a six-month-old uh, sharing just what was on her heart. And then, Aaron, you were saved through the evangelism of Holly and others investing your in life at that time. What would your advice be, or a word of wisdom, perhaps, to other believers that might be listening, Um particularly I'm thinking about myself, who I'm very intimidated by evangelism, going out and talking to people that either I just met them on the street or, I don't, or maybe I've known them for a long time. I just find that intimidating.
2: I think that moms with young children can feel very burdened and feel like they've made this transition from, um, you know, the the transition I made in college that I'm sharing the gospel all the time with everyone around me. Well, now I'm just at home and I don't really have that many opportunities. Uh, So I think one thing I would really want to communicate first off is that I would want the moms, the stay-at-home moms that their primary ministry is their children, that they are doing evangelism every day by the way that they're living their lives. And uh, pray for opportunities, look for those neighbors around you. uh, But to communicate, God is delighted in the role that you're doing, and to not feel like a lesser Christian because you're not out like you were in college.
1: Thank you for sharing, Holly. And Aaron, any thoughts from you? yeah I think I, I totally agree. I think that uh, it's a good word to you know sometimes kind of recognize the good that you are doing, you know, um, you know a lot of times we can put more burdens on ourselves than than God does. You know we're not all called to be um you know, Peter, this bold evangelist. Um, You know, but some of us, and some of us are, I mean, some of us, God is gifted to be extroverted, outgoing, confronting people on the street, total strangers with the gospel. And then for a lot of us, I think it's getting to know your next door neighbors and talking to the parents on your kid's soccer team and being involved in the PTA at your school uh, or whatever it is in your community, wherever God has placed you, just kind of look around at the circles that you're in. Where's God already placed? You don't have to go somewhere to do evangelism. You might be sowing a seed or watering a seed, or you might get to see that seed come to fruition.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing both of you guys, Aaron and Holly. We're so glad to just hear God working through both of y'all. And I hope it's going to bless many others who listen to this too. So
1: thank you guys for being on the show. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. Love you guys. Thank
0: you. What an encouragement to hear about God's transforming power at work in Aaron and Holly's lives. Their story clearly illustrates the delight that God has in changing the desires and affections of people all for his glory. If you enjoyed this story, then you'll be glad to know that there are more. Like I mentioned earlier, this is the first week of our podcast. Normally, we'll release episodes every Tuesday, but for this week only, we're releasing three episodes all at once. This season, you'll hear from a former abortion clinic owner whose life was radically turned upside down by Jesus. And you'll hear from a two-time NFL Super Bowl champion who discovered that true victory wasn't on the field. And in just a minute, we'll play you a sneak peek of our next episode. You can find all of our episodes and more at our website, compelledpodcast.com. You can also hear our episodes by subscribing to Compelled on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or Pocket Casts. If you enjoyed our show, then we'd super appreciate it if you'd leave us a review and a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, consider sharing this episode with others that would be blessed by Aaron and Holly's story. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler, who is a gifted film editor, visual effects artist, and storyteller. You can find Zach and his work at zachfowlerimagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost, an incredibly talented logo designer. You can reach Josiah and view his work at design.com Our website was created by Ben Billups, a digital developer extraordinaire. You can follow Ben on Instagram at ben.billups. Special thanks also to my wife, Sarah Hastings, for helping make this project a reality. Without her, this podcast wouldn't exist. And that's it for this episode. Stick around after the music for a sneak peek at our next episode. I'm your host, Paul Hastings and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll see you next time.
2: The man and woman who led me to Christ led me to uh, 1 John 1, 1.9. It says, if you confess and repent of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But I still didn't think I could be forgiven for my abortion. That was just one of those things that I, I had said no to God, no to his plan. And finally, the picture I got was this. If I was saying that Jesus' blood was not enough, then I, I was putting Jesus back up on the cross. And I couldn't
1: do that.
0: One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th. The other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st. The Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th.